0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth-Om, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat learning session by TBA Rabbinic intern Ya'el Aronoff. Okay, so we are entering into the week of Parashat Tazria Metzora. We heard the chanting of the beginning of Tazria from Marshall Kramer. And we're actually going to look at um, four of the verses from the third Aliyah that we heard. It was a uh, five verse Aliyah, so we're looking at most of that Aliyah. But before we jump into the text, I want to say a word about the language that I'm going to be using. Um, so we're going to be talking about Sara'at. And Sara'at is often translated into English as leprosy. And I'm going to continue to just use the word Sara'at, the Hebrew word, because It's not exactly the modern understanding of leprosy. And there's also something about Sara'at, as I put in the title, that's not only a physical ailment, a physical disease, but there's also some spiritual dis-ease that comes along with it. And so I'm just going to call it Sara'at, but now we can all be on the same page about what we're talking about. And the other two words that I want to leave in the Hebrew while we're learning together is the word tameh, And the word tahor and the reason i want to do that is because when we try to translate these words into english again it just doesn't fully capture the essence of what those words are because like i think i either say or hear every time i'm learning torah every translation is an interpretation Um, so people sometimes will translate tameh and tahor as unclean and clean i don't love that translation also my ziegler teachers don't love that translation um we usually go more for tameh being impure and tahor being pure but even with those english words it doesn't capture the both physical and spiritual and ritual and ethical elements of the purity or impurity so we're just going to call it tameh and tahor you also might hear versions of the words like for tame you might hear tumah. for tahor you might hear um torah so um those are the words we're going to keep in hebrew And we're gonna go through the verses uh, that we chanted in Hebrew and English. I've asked my parents to help out with some of the reading, but I'm gonna start off with reading um, the first two verses in Hebrew and English. And we're gonna go through them and we're going to uh, do a quick reflection on them before moving on to a Talmudic tale that I find very fun and interesting. So we're gonna start with Vayikra, Leviticus chapter 13, verses one and two. R'daber Aaronai El Moshev El Aharon lemor, Adam ki hi eva or besaro se'et osaphat over harat vehayah veor besaro lenega tsaraat vehuva el aharon hakohan o el echad mi banav hakohanim Aaronai spoke to Moshe and Aaron saying When a person has on the skin of the body a swelling, a rash, or a discoloration, and it develops into a scaly affection on the skin of the body, it shall be reported to Aharon, the priest, or to one of his sons, the priests. Uh, Oh, yes. Avi Mori, my father, my teacher, can you read uh, Leviticus 13, verse 3 in Hebrew and in English?
1: Vera Hakohein etanega the habasar Vese Arba Nega Hafach Lavan Umare Hanega Amok Meor Besaro Negatarathu Bara'ahu Hakohein Bitime Oto. The priest shall examine the affection on the skin of the body. If the if hair in the affected patch has turned white and the affection appears to be deeper than the skin of the body, it is an affection of tsarat. Tsarat. When the priest sees it, he shall pronounce the person tameh.
0: Thank you, Avi Mori, Morati, my mother, my teacher. Can you read Leviticus thirteen four in Hebrew and English?
2: The im baheret levanahhi beor besaro, v'amok v'amok ein mar'eha min haor u seara lo hafach lavan vhiskir hakohen et hanega shivat yamim. But if it is a white discoloration on the skin of the body, which does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall isolate the affected person for seven days. Thank you.
0: So just a little recap on what's going on here. So we have a person who has some sort of rash or swelling or discoloration on their body. And they go to Aharon, or one of the priests, and then there's two outcomes there's the person who they see that this um, affected patch is white this word um, that you'll see coming up um, a couple times is the word baharat. and there's a white hair a hair that turns white on that bahirat that white scaly patch and it's deeper than the skin of the body so that person the priest announced announces, has sara'at, and announces that this person is Tame, that ritual, spiritual, physical, ethical, potentially uh, impurity, Tame. But if the white discoloration, this baharat thing on their body, is not deeper than the skin, and the hair that's on top of that skin is not white, then it's not sara'at, and they're not pronounced Tame. and they just have to isolate, so it's just a physical... Um, affliction. It's not the spiritual deeper um, disease and disease. So with that in mind, I was curious about some of your thoughts on what is the actual difference that's happening between the person in verse 3 and 4. We spoke, I mean, the verses really speak a lot to the physicality of the differences, like we were just, um, like I was just sort of trying to recap. Um I'm curious though like what impressions this leaves you for what person 1 with tsara'at whose tammad is experiencing physically and spiritually as opposed to person 2 who does not have sarat does not pronounce tammad but does have to isolate for 7 days what they're going through physically and potentially also spiritually. So if anyone has any thoughts they want to share if you feel comfortable using the mic we can pass the mic um for people to hear if you don't I will try to restate what you said and I'll Approaches are
2: welcome, and I see a hand already. Yes. So it says in the second case, what happens to the person? What happens to the person? They isolate for seven days. But in the first case, it doesn't say what happens to the person. It says, you know, you have tzaraat and you're tame, but it doesn't say what that person has to do. Do they isolate? Do they go away forever? Do they, you know, right? It It doesn't say what they do.
0: Thank you, yeah. So there is definitely some unclarity there that needs more explanation. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I just find
2: it really interesting that it's, um, it's all about diagnosis. Oh, just, mean? right. Um, that it's all about diagnosis mm. and- yeah. Oh, right, here, okay. just give it to me. Leave it, yeah. And it's about um, and, and how much of an understanding they have about disease also. Mm-hmm. In,
0: yeah, thank you. So speaking to the physical part, the understanding of contagion and also the diagnosis that I heard there was a joke about the first dermatologist, but that these priests are serving both not only in the spiritual way, but but diagnosing uh, these contagious diseases. Thank you.
2: Are you.
3: Well, it seems that in the first verse, actually, which is verse, uh, first Gimel, that the... It's a conclusive diagnosis Mm. that surely the person has contracted this skin affliction and therefore I'm going to, as the priest will declare him ritually impure not able to participate in the rich in the sacred precinct the second one however is more of an intermediate stage i'm really not sure what his condition is Mm. is it really this sarat or is it not sarat so therefore we're going to defer judgment Mm. so for him we're only going to or her we're only going to put this person into isolation Mm. and then we'll have to see what happens after the seven day period
0: ah thank you that's that's interesting so that's um we, we talked about some um, things being unclear about the person who is isolating. No, about the person who has tzaraat. That was our first comment. But there's also some um, thing left unclear about the person, the second person. They're isolating for seven days, and then what happens? What do they have? What is going on? Um, yeah. Oh no. Okay.
2: It's is assuming that the person is contaminating others, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that right there. But, um, I, I agree it's unclear.
0: Yeah, it's so there's, unclear. there's a lot unclear here. And I think that's actually a really interesting um, thing that's come up in our discussion so far, because I think it's going to sort of color this Talmudic story, this Talmudic tale, but don't turn over yet, because I am going to give you a little bit of a uh, summary. So this Talmudic tale we're gonna look at is found in Masechet, or Tractate Bava Metziah, page 86a. And um, I'm just gonna give a little bit of a summary of the first half of the story because it's a very long and very interesting story, but I figured we would focus in on the second half of it because it's relevant to our verses, but I wanna give you the full picture of the story. So the story is about Rabba Bar Nachmani, who is known throughout the Talmud as Rabba. He's a third generation Amora. He's someone who is very prolific in the Talmud. And it was said about him from the king's palace that he, because of him, the Jewish men were not paying taxes for two months of the year. So the palace was mad at Rabbah, and they wanted to uh, either imprison him, potentially execute him. It's a little unclear in the story as to what they wanted to do, but they wanted to bring him in for um, to punish him for this. Now, the reason that they said that was that there were two months out of the year where the Jewish men would study completely in Rabba's study hall in the month of Adar and in the month of Elul and they wouldn't work. And so they wouldn't pay taxes because they weren't making money those two months. Um, so that's the sort of explanation of that. So there is a messenger sent after Rabba and he's looking for Rabba and Rabba is fleeing and he's going from town to town to town to town. Finally, Rabba ends up in Pumbadita at this inn. And guess what? The king's messenger also ends up at this inn in Pumbadita, and he's at the pub, and he's drinking a couple drinks, and suddenly a miracle happens, and because is staying at this inn too, this man's head turns backwards on his body so that he wouldn't see Rabbah, presumably. So the innkeepers see Rabbah, and they say to him, "Roba, we know this miracle just happened to protect you, but... This is one of the king's guys. We can't let him go back to the palace like that. We can't leave him like that. So Rabba says, okay, so I'm gonna tell you what how to give him a drink and how to get his head to turn back around, and then I'll you know get out of here so he doesn't catch me. So they do what Rabba told him to do what Rabba told him to do. This king's messenger's head turns back around, Rabba gets out of there, and the king's messenger says, you know. Because this miracle happened, I know that the man I'm looking for Rabba, was here. And, but because you you and he were generous enough to turn my head back around, I am not going to tell them in the king's palace that Rabba is here, even if they kill me, I'm not going to tell him tell them that Rabba's is here. But if they do beat me, I'm going to tell them because I don't want to be tortured. So that's his response. So then they put Rabba in this room um, so that, you know, they want to have a meeting between Rabba and the king's messenger, but Rabba is a little worried about what that meeting might entail, so he prays for mercy, the walls crumble, this is the second miracle of the story, it's just this fun, really, it's this fun story with all these miracles, the walls crumble, he gets out, and he flees, and this is the part of the story that we enter into in our source sheet, so you can turn over your page now. Um, and we are going to read it in the English, though, of course, we have the Aramaic, and we'll reference some of the Hebrew and Aramaic as we go through it. Um, does someone want to read the first paragraph of the story as we enter into it on the top of page three in the English? You want to take the mic? Thank you. Thank you.
4: He, Rabbi, fled and went to hide in a swamp. He was sitting on the stump of a palm tree and studying Torah alone. At that moment, the sages in the heavenly academy were disagreeing with regard to Halakha of tarat. In general, a spot of tarat includes two signs of Tumah, a bright white spot and a white hair. The basic Halakha is that if the baharat, snow-white sore, preceded the white hair, then the afflicted person is Tameh. If the white hair preceded the baharat, then the afflicted person is tahor.
0: Thank you. Does someone want to read the next paragraph in English? Thank you.
3: The heavenly debate concerned a case of uncertainty as to which came first, the spot or the hair. The holy blessed one says the individual is Tahor, but every other member of the heavenly academy says the person is tame. And they said, who can arbitrate in this dispute? They agreed that Rabbi Bar Nachmani should arbitrate. As Rabbi Bar Nachmani once said, I am preeminent in the halakhot of affections, and I am preeminent in the halakhot of Tameh, imparted by tents.
0: Thank you. Does someone want to read the third paragraph
2: in English? Yeah, thank you. They sent a messenger from heaven after him, to take his soul up to the heavenly academy. But the angel of death was unable to approach rabba bar Nachmani as his mouth did not cease from his Torah study. In the meantime, a wind blew and howled between the branches. rabba bar Nachmani thought that the noise was due to an infantry battalion about to capture him. He said, let that man that is me die and not be given over to the hands of the government the angel of death was therefore able to take his soul
0: thank you so much so there's a lot going on in these in this part of the story and i was very excited that it's this debate this heavenly debate about sarat. um i want what i want to focus on is this question that you see on the bottom of page four Why does the Heavenly Academy, where the Holy Blessed One, God, is an active participant, need the opinion of Rabbah? He's a great Torah scholar, a great Talmud scholar. He's a scholar of the Talmud, but he's also a mortal human when compared to the Heavenly Academy. So why do they need him to arbitrate in the matter of their debate about Sara'at? Do they think that having a
2: disease like sarah is a a moral flaw? Hmm. Because... um, I, I hate to say it, but, I'm, I'm too cold, but if you had a contagious disease, it was a stigma. It wasn't, right. you know, it yeah. somehow became more acceptable Right, COVID to, to, yeah. to have something contagious because so many people were getting it. And right. But, but um, do, do the, it, it seems to me that a disease isn't just a disease in, in here. They talk about the angel of death, and it, it has a moral connotation. It has, yeah. Because, uh, um, like somebody is bringing this unfortunate upon you. Yeah. That kind of
0: thing. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's a really big question here of the question of um, what did you say? A moral flaw? That The question of whether. Oh, yeah. No, but no, but I think it's an important uh, question because that's why I was in the beginning trying to say this isn't Sara'at that we're talking about. It's not leprosy because leprosy is um, we have an, a modern day understanding of what it is and there isn't the moral, spiritual.
2: But there was. There was. If you had leprosy, you would Right. Really right. But
0: Right, right. But I think that's the distinction, um, that we were looking at in the verses of verse 3 and verse 4 from, um, Leviticus chapter 13 is that there are, um, there was some sort of an understanding of physical conditions that are just physical. And I think this is something that we, um, if we can maybe enter into the world of the Talmud and the world of the Torah, that it's not um, modern diseases, which I don't ever, ever want, especially after, like, going through COVID. I never want to associate morality or uh, blame with anyone getting any sort of sickness ever. I think that's why I think they're talking about something else. That's why I don't want to call it leprosy. I want to call it sarad, because I think it's something different. In our tradition, it usually,
2: it has been linked to bashan harad. Mm-hmm.
0: It definitely is. Right. In our tradition, a moral to Thank you. Yeah. So we have this link to Lashon Hara and Miriam, the story of Miriam, right, um, where where people in the Torah would get Sara'at from speaking ill of others. So there's there's something different going on here that we we don't we don't have yeah. I remember this. Um, putting, I think about
2: something like alcoholism. Which, mm-hmm. um, they had to resort to calling it a disease to put a neutrality on it because um people mm. put such a moral right you know it, people associated alcoholism with um um at the debauch morality so right to speak, and they had to somehow let's get the emotionalism out of it yeah so they called it a disease to at least put right. neutrality on it yeah and um i i i think um in our own time we, we remember when. Um, um, there was a certain stigma there was a moral sure. stigma. sure,
0: thank you in our, in our own time. yeah, yeah. And then, sure absolutely and there's. there's you know, immediately comes to yeah you know. there still are moral stigmas associated yeah, with stigmas. diseases, yeah. thank you yeah absolutely. Uh, yes, do you want to use the mic over there.
1: So going to the question about bringing in Raba a mortal human to arbitrate in the matter of the debate about Zarat um, the heavenly court is presumably the representation of souls that are not connected to anything physical anymore whereas Raba at least until the Malachamavet brought him up um, to get into that was a human on Earth with a body and remember he also said that he was an expert or they said Mm -hmm. that he was someone that really knew all the information about all the different salties and nuances and all the halakhot. Mm -hmm. so what they were doing is they wanted him pull him up because hey we're we're detached from it all he's in the thick of it and if, if we can get him quickly enough up here he'll still know the answers to those questions so i think it goes to what to some degree um agadot and midrash go to which is to understand some kind of connection between those of us who are mortal of flesh and bones and those in the spiritual realm so i think that's what it's talking about
0: thank you so much yes i really really resonate with that reading and we're gonna as we continue looking at this agada, this talmudic tale we're gonna go a little bit more in that direction so thank you for saying that uh we have two comments down here can i bring you guys the mic or Yes, no. Yes, no, maybe.
4: <laughs> I have two thoughts. One is, it's nice to see that HaKadosh Baruch is taking the lenient position in this argument. But it's really disappointing to me that he's not able to convince even one of <laughs> yes. the other members of the discussion group um, that, uh, that that position is correct, and that's distressing. Um, and finally, you know, they picked the wrong guy. I mean, there may have been numerous reasons why it was time for him to go, but he's an expert on. Um, tuma coming from tents. Unfortunately, I have spent a lot of time recently learning about tuma that comes from tents. It's a very complex and difficult area, but it's not the same as saras by a long shot. And so it's like, you know, we're going to take the person who's an expert on X and ask him to dis- to discuss P. Mm. And I just don't think they belong together. Mm.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I think those are yeah those are two really important points about the question of did they get the right person or the wrong person? Right. Right. Yep. The morality of it all, exactly. Yeah.
3: Uh, maybe I'm just overly simplifying the question, but Torah is not in heaven anymore. Yeah, right. It's been yeah. given to man already. <laughs> yeah. So therefore, you who are the judges in heaven, you no longer have jurisdiction over this case. And therefore, let's talk about somebody who does have jurisdiction, mm-hmm. who has to deal with the nitty-gritty of the problems of real life, and not heavenly life.
0: Mm hmm. So I think that connects to what Mel was saying. Um, uh, I think, oh, here. okay, I'll take it. All right. Okay, um, I think that connects to the comment that was made, because, and we're gonna, when we we have one more paragraph to read of this, but when we do, we're going to come back to those two comments, because I think that's, that's an interesting read on it as well. Um, does anyone, so we're going to turn the page and we have one more paragraph here. Does anyone want to read this paragraph on page five in English?
2: As he was dying, he said in response to the dispute in heaven, it is Tahor. It is Tahor. A divine voice emerged from heaven and said, happy are you, Rabbi Bar Namani, as your body is Tahor and your soul left you with the word Tahor. A note fell from heaven and landed in the academy of Pumbedita. The note read, Rabbi Bar Namani was summoned to the heavenly academy. He has died. Abaya and Rabba and all of the other rabbis went out to tend to his burial. However, they did not know the location of Spotty. They went to the swamp and saw birds forming a shade and hovering over a certain spot. The rabbi said, we can conclude from this that he is there. Thank you so much. <laughs> so the
0: story actually continues a little bit more, and you see the rabbis mourning the death of Rabbah. You see them mourning for three days, and then another note falls from heaven and says, actually, you have to mourn him for seven days. So you see the rabbis sitting Shiva, essentially, for Rabbah. And then there's an epilogue at the end, which is an interesting sort of tale of God and the elements. And I believe... uh and oh yes, a hurricane, and an Arab riding on his camel. And for the epilogue, I encourage you to turn to Bava Matsya 86a if you're interested. It's just such an interesting story, I find. Um, but I want to talk about how the story ends, and I want to go back to the comments that were made about, um, you know, this. It is not the Torah is not in the heavens. It's of uh, the human realm, and this thing that about needing to go to the expert, whether or not it was the right expert, needing a human to talk to the question of f- the physical. Um So I think you must have been, I'm assuming you're referencing the story of the Tanur Shel Ahnai when you say that it is not in the heavens, the story about when there was the debate you may be familiar with about the kashrut of a certain oven. And the sort of outcome of that is that it's actually up to humans to make these decisions. It's not up to God anymore. The interesting thing that I I thought about that story when reading this story, because it's sort of an inverse, you have in that story the majority of the rabbis who think one thing, and you have one rabbi who thinks something else, and that one rabbi goes to God and says, what's the answer? And God is in agreement with the one singular person, and then the majority say, but lo he, it's not in the heavens. And this is the inverse of that. We have the heavenly academy, the yeshiva barakia, as they they call it, the... Aramaic word for yeshiva in the rakia, in the heavens, and you have all of them thinking one thing, you, they all think that this person is Tameh, and then you have HaKadosh Baruch God, saying this person is Tahor, and they need that one person, and that one person is in agreement with God, who is the singular voice of Tahor. And so the question I have um, is, is it in the heavens? Is it in the earth? Um, I, I made, when I was studying this, uh, earlier, I, I made the joke. Do, you, do you guys know the joke about, um, the, uh, um, uh, what do you think? My name is Fink. I sell clothes for nothing. If you don't know it, I, I might, I feel like I might have shared it at Bethlehem once before, but I'll share it again because it's a good one. Um, there was, uh, someone who saw a, a sign in a shop window and it said, what do you think? My name is Fink. I sell clothes for nothing. There was no punctuation. This is just how the person read it. So they went in and they said, I'd like some clothes, please. And then he, you know, thought he didn't have to pay anything. But then Fink said to him, but he, and he was like, but you know, your, your sign in your window says, what do you think? My name is Fink. I sell clothes for nothing. He said, you read it wrong. It says, what do you think? My name is Fink. I sell clothes for nothing. So I, I, I sort of thought of the phrase, lo bashamayim he." And you know the way we often read it, obviously, in the Tanur Shel Achna story, is Lo B'Shamayim He. Period. It's not in the heavens. But in this case, it's Lo B'Shamayim He. Maybe, it, maybe we have we, and it's maybe a, a mixture of both, because maybe it's not in the heavens, and maybe it is in the heavens. And what I mean by that is this. Tzara'at as this example of the physical and the spiritual rubbing up against each other. So we have the physical world that we as humans are supposed to be able to understand at least on some level. And then we have the spiritual, which is still in the realm of the heavens. And so what I think is interesting is in the end of the story, it had to be at the moment as Rabba was dying, that he could respond to the dispute in the heavens that he could say, tahor, because he was still in the human physical world, but he was making that transition into the heavenly realm. So it was in that in-between space that he was able to say that. And I also want to bring up something about in that moment, there's something to be said about this partnership with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with God, in that moment. Because you need the voice of the human to say tahor, and you also need the voice of God to say tahor. It's, it's this partnership, I think, that, that this Talmudic tale really speaks to. And I think that helps me to understand, going back to Sora, what's going on with Tzara'at. Because this issue of Tameh and Tahor is this physical and spiritual balance, I think the answer is going back to our relationship with God, which I think can sometimes be really uncomfortable. And I think there's, um, a lot of room for exploration that we all can do in that. So I want to leave us with this question to sort of reflect on as you move through the week. And it's the question at the bottom of page five. In what way or in what ways do you understand being in partnership with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with God? And in what moments in your life have you experienced this connection between the physical and the spiritual? So I want to leave us with the blessing that whether it's in the realm of the Tameh, in the things that don't necessarily feel completely, uh, that that, that might feel impure, whether physically, spiritually, ethically, um, ritually, or whether in the realm of the Tahor, the things that do feel physically, ethically, spiritually, ritually pure, that we notice during the week, those times where the physical and the spiritual rub up against each other in our own lives, and with that, I wish you a Shabbat Shalom for the last little uh, little piece of Shabbat we have left. And with that, before we move to Birkat Hamazon, I want
2: to sing. To- yeah, El. Uh, yes, I just want to tell you one quick thing. I won't take the time, but if you want another version of that joke, yeah. put in Google
0: Lenin Trotsky joke. Okay, I will. A Lenin a Lenin Trotsky joke. I will look that up. I will look that up. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, um, before we do Birkat Hamazon, if, uh, for the people who had bagels, had bread, um, I mentioned last night that we are in the week of Gvura, and today actually has been Gvura Shabi Gvura. It is the Gvura of Gvura day I, I translate as Strength, power, resiliency, boundaries. Um, this morning at Hama Alot, for those of you who are there, um, they translated it as discipline. Um, but however, again, however you translate it, we're in the week of Gura. And something that I learned in this Omer book that I've been enjoying reading that I got in Israel last year, is that there are songs that are connected to these weeks of the Omer, to these weeks that have the wrote these these um uh, divine emanations of God mapped onto these weeks. So the theme, the, the song, the type of song that's connected to the week of Gura is the Zemer. So I, we don't always do zmirot here, but I wanted to do two. Um, so in a bencher, if you have one of these, on page, uh, 24, uh, you will find Doror Kra, and I wanted to sing, D'Ror uh, Yikra together, and there's enough verses that if you don't know the tune already, you will catch on by the time we're at the end of it. So D'Ror Yikra on page 24. D'Ror
5: Yikra, levenu Ve'in sarachem chem kemo vavat. Ve'in sat na'im im Ve'lo yush bat. Shev u nu chubeyom Ve'ulami. Ve'od yesha sei mir in Tasserack betoch kar mi ami b'nei ami deroch pura betoch patzer Ve'gam am ba vela be a fevra, shema coli, yo mekra, yo mekra, Elohim ten, be mid har, hadas shita berosh tid har, velamas he, velanis har, shalomim ten kimena har, Hadoch kamar el kana'a be mogle vavu vim gina'a venar chiv pe'a un lecharina, lecharina de Thank
0: you, and I also would love it if we could do the classic Zodashly Sheet song on page 44 in the Bencher, or if you're in Lev Shalem, it's on page 233. Mizmor le David.
5: Mizmor le David, Adonai ro Echzar, Mi'inot Yar bid say al me menu chod Na vsiye shovev. Na vsiye shovev. Yan Vemagli tzedek vema shemo. Gam ki e'lech be'ge t'sal Amun Ta-roch Lefanei Shulchan Ta-roch Lefanei Shulchan Ta-roch Lefanei Shulchan Neged Zor Erai Roshi Dishantav Hashem en Roshi. Dishantav Hashem en Roshi. Kosi revaya. Ach tov. De Funi Koyamehayay. Veshafti Veshafti Beve Tadonai. Veshafti Beve Tadonai. Leo Rechiamim Yanai, Nai, 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 You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic
0: center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcasts site or wherever you get your podcasts.